All right, everybody, welcome. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. We are... Um, need a little bit, and we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at what is one of the most incredible historic moments in all of human history. And, and I titled this series, uh, One Giant Step for Mankind, because for some crazy reason, God got off his throne and became one of us. And whew, that's just nuts when you think about it. And we're going to spend five weeks thinking about it. And and it's amazing and it's remarkable. And a lot of times we spend Christmas talking about the what and not the why. And we're going to talk about the why this year because I think that's really important to understand. Uh, the, the reason that moment was so incredible was because of everything that led up to it. Silence and darkness. That, that, that's what the world was like. Silence and spiritual darkness. The last book of the Old Testament was either Esther or Malachi. One of those two books was the last one written. And they were finished around 400 B.C. For 400 years, from 400 B.C. until the beginning of the New Testament, the Jewish people heard nothing from their God. No manifestations, no miracles, no, hey, I'm still here. No one empowered by the Holy Spirit. No prophet showing up saying they're speaking for God. Silence. Not even a good prophetic smackdown. None of it happened. Silence. For 400 years. World's going deeper and deeper into sin. The Jewish people, every generation, are moving farther and farther away from God. The last remaining tribe of Israel is Judah. And they're just going through the motions. Sacrificing animals at the temple, obeying the religious feasts, but something was missing. Something was not quite right. And that something it felt was God. Had they finally gone too far? The prophets kept warning them that God would give them over their debased hearts, that God would not wait forever for them to return to him. Maybe they waited too long. Maybe God had flooded the world once before. He promised never to do it again, but what if he just walked away? He didn't really owe them anything. Their sin had caused the deaths. And for 400 years, all they heard was crickets. Now, the United States is only 240 years old. The Israelites were in bondage in Egypt for 430 years. They, too, thought God had given up on them and had forgotten about them. The Jewish people during this time began to wonder if they'd blown it. Would God keep his promise of a Messiah that would come and save them? Every day, every silent day that went by, each day seeming darker than the one before, chiseled away at the only thing they had left, which was hope. All they had was hope in the promise God had made. That was it. Would God keep his promise? Could they trust him to save them? 
Would he keep his promise to Abraham? You see, the, the Christmas story is wrapped in their despair. They didn't deserve for God to rescue them, to save them, but he had promised. So when God dropped a love bomb on gloom and doom, the angel birthed forth and said, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for I behold, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that'll be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. The shepherds heard the good news. The Messiah has been born. Perhaps a deeper realization is what really drove their joy. God still loves us. God is still faithful. He didn't give up on us. No matter how much we doubted, no matter how dark it got, no matter how far people moved from God, God didn't move from them. Maybe that's all you need to hear this morning. Perhaps your life up to this moment has been full of darkness. Sins have driven you far from God. You hear he hasn't given up on you, but honestly, deep down, you've given up on you. You've lied to yourself, convinced yourself that God can't or will not love you. He may save others, but not you. If that's you, I want you to pay very close attention to something the angel said. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Who's the good news for? Who's the great joy for? All the people. Does it say a select few? No. Those who still have faith and hope? No. Even those who've given up their faith and their hope. This is good news for you. Great news that will bring great joy to every human. And that most definitely includes you and me and everybody else you've ever locked your eyes with and every human that existed long before and will exist long after you and I are here. The, the announcement was every human being is going to be impacted by this child. If you haven't experienced the darkness of sin, the hopelessness of your condition, and the longing to fill that void in your heart, and Christmas is just a nice story about Santa and buying stuff for yourself. But we know this is a great story. It's a story full of wonder. It brings hope and great joy. But the only way that it's true, the only way it's all true, if it's not just a story, it's his story. It's history. Not a story, not some fable, not some great story made up to tell the children at Christmas time. There is a day in history 
where these events happened as much as things are happening today in history. You see, we don't follow a set of rules and a religion. We, we follow because we believe at a moment in history, God stepped into his creation to save it. That's what we believe. We're not saved by some nice fable. We're saved by a very real, well-recorded moment in history. There's a night on a particular day on a hill outside of Bethlehem, the one in Judah, when some very lowly, likely female shepherds had their darkness rocked by a very real chorus of angels who gave them an incredibly great promise. The day before, darkness, gloom, silence from God. The day after, anything but. The light of God exploded on the scene that night. The angels, full of excitement, make the greatest announcement to all mankind. The announcement was the Savior, the Messiah, is born, but the announcement was also God knows. God knows your darkness. God knows your despair. God knows your hopelessness. God knows your guilt. God knows your isolation. God knows your loneliness. God knows your pain. Most importantly, God knows you desperately need him. He's your God and he's your savior. God's response that night, I'm here. I'm still here. I'm the savior and I can be your savior. You will never have to wonder again where I went. You see, I'm Emmanuel. I'm God with you. No matter what you go through, no matter what kind of darkness you face, from this point forward, I will always be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am Emmanuel. You can choose to never again live in darkness, the darkness that's been suffocating your life. You see, because you can't live in darkness when you become a source of God's light. John 1 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John continues, the true light which gives light to everyone, there it is again, everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John says, look, we've seen his glory. I was on the mountaintop. I was there with Peter and James. He was in his full glory. This man is God. I saw it. I know. I was there. I've seen it. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. 
We've seen his glory, glory that can come only as the Father. Years later in John's life, people would say that Jesus may have been God, but he was never really human. But he just kind of floated above humanity, never really tempted, never really human. He could be God, but he can't be human. So John picks up his pen again and writes, First John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He says, look, I touched him. I walked with him. I was with him. The dude was real. He was human. He wasn't some angel. He walked with us. I looked on him. I've touched him. I've seen him with my eyes. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it. I'm a witness, and I'll give a testimony. Here's my testimony. He was human. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John is testifying to a very real doctrinal truth of our faith. You see, a doctrine is a belief that we base our lives on. It's something we contend for. It's something we insist on. It's something we will not waver on. It's not something that we can prove scientifically. It's not something we can prove empirically. Secondly, it's something we live on we commit ourselves to, and we base our lives on. Thirdly, it's something we push, we contend for. That's a doctrine. Every person has a doctrine. Every person is living by a doctrine, a belief or faith that they believe are true. The miracle of the Christmas story is a doctrine called incarnation. It means that the Messiah was fully God and fully man all at the same time. Never less than fully both. The text says the invisible became visible. The spirit became embodied. In other words, God became human. The absolute has become particular. The ideal is now real. The divine has taken up human nature. Think about that. This is not only a specific doctrine, but it's also unique. This doctrine separates our faith from every other religion in the world. One of the reasons we're afraid to talk about doctrine sometimes is because it distinguishes us from other people. You see, you've got religions that say, well, God is in everything. He's in every tree, every bug, every butterfly, every mosquito, Every rock, God's everywhere. If you're Buddhist or Hindu, you believe God is imminent in everything. To them, incarnation is very normal. Of course God is in humans. He's in everything. In fact, you're a God, they would say. On the other hand, religions like Islam and Judaism say that God is God and he can't be human. He can't. He would never stoop that low. And to say there's a God-man is blasphemous, they would say. 
Ask a Muslim, they'll tell you Jesus was not God. Ask a Jew, Jesus was not God. That's what they struggle with. He's a man, a good man, a prophet, but not God. Christianity is unique. It doesn't say that incarnation, and when you think incarnation, just think God becoming part of his creation. I mean, literally, the way I think about this every time is if God created a fish tank and the fish are full of ick, and he says, I've got to become a fish to go save them. That's what he did. He stepped into his creation. Now, we don't say that it's normal, but we also don't say that it's impossible. The incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ is a university, universe-shattering, history-altering, life-transforming, paradigm-busting event. It's nuts. God became human. Incredible when you think about it. Christianity has a unique view on this that separates it from every other religion in the world. Only Christians can claim that Jesus is fully God, that he has and always will exist, and that one day he literally stepped into his creation to save man from himself. Amen. He became man. He didn't stop being God. He was fully God and fully man. It is a key core doctrine of the Christian faith that no Christian who says they follow Jesus should ever waver on. These are the ones worth fighting for. He was fully God and fully man because if he wasn't, he can't be the savior of the world. We're going to talk about that. You can't understand the significance of Christmas if you don't understand the doctrine of incarnation. God is the Almighty One, but He's also Emmanuel. If you want to juxtapose, if you want a balanced picture of God, you've got to address both and accept both. He's the Almighty One, but He's also here with us as human. Mark Batterson said, He's the God most high and the God most nigh. He exists outside of time and space. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He entered space-time 2,000 years ago in a tiny village outside Jerusalem called Bethlehem. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. You see, Jesus was subject to the same spiritual laws that govern all of us. He was also subject to the same physical laws that govern the universe. It's easier for us sometimes to accept that Jesus was fully God than it is to accept that he's fully human. I have weird thoughts about this a lot. Just letting you know. Here's one of them. For 30 years, Jesus was a carpenter. I wonder if he ever missed a nail and hit his thumb. I wonder if he ever got a splinter. I think he did. I think Jesus got bumps and bruises and toothaches and stomach aches and headaches. I think he got very tired and very hungry at times. He got sad and he got mad. 
Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted just like we are, but he never gave in to temptation. He suffered like we do. In fact, just a reminder, he suffered more than we've ever suffered. You see, we don't serve a scarless God. We serve a God with scarred hands and feet and a side who knows exactly what it means to be human. Exactly what it means to walk on this earth. Exactly what it means to be living in the darkness. Not because he's dark, but because we are. We serve a God that has been scarred. In fact, according to Isaiah 52, Jesus was scarred beyond recognition. You see, God put skin on. He became touchable and approachable. Think about this. The omnipresent one, the one who created all things, who always has been, always will be, downsized himself to a human womb. Became a helpless baby that had to be fed and nurtured and burped and was it dependent upon the very creation that up to this point had rejected him and would reject him again. He had to learn reading and writing and arithmetic. He became nothing. Why? So that we could become something. It's all about trading places. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Spend some time meditating on that part. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus made us a deal that we can't refuse. Give me all your sin, I'll give you all my righteousness, and we'll just call it even. Dick Foss says it this way, he came to our place, he took our place, and he invites us back to his place. That is the gospel in a nutshell. But I want to take you back to the story of incarnation. I want, I want to take you back so that you'll understand. I always say it's hard to interpret the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament. We're going to go 700 years before Jesus is born. About 2,700 years ago, city is Jerusalem. By this time, the kingdom is divided. Remember, north and south, Israel and Judah. Also around this time, the northern kingdom decided they wanted to attack the southern kingdom, and they brought in their friends, the Syrians, to help them. The Assyrians, the ruthless ones. So about 700 years before the birth of Christ, Ahaz was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Northern Kingdom and Syria were on their border, ready to invade them. And Ahaz has a choice to make. Fortunately, a prophet named Isaiah shows up. God tells Isaiah to go to King Ahaz, King of Jerusalem, King of Judah, and tell him essentially, don't worry, I've got everything under control. Everything is in my sovereign rule. Ask me for a sign and I'll give it to you, God says. In other words, listen, I'll go one further. Not only don't worry, but ask for me anything to show you, and I'll do it. I'll show you how sovereign I am, how powerful I am. Ask me anything, and I'll give it to you. 
Ahaz didn't believe, and he was weak. So he turned down God's sign, and God becomes angry with him. That's fine. I'll go ahead and give you a sign anyway. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, God offers to give Ahaz a sign, but Ahaz refuses. God tells them that a young woman will give birth, and before that child can grow up to adulthood, both of the nations attacking him will be in ruins. God's telling him, look, I got this. This verse had an immediate fulfillment. In the time frame it takes for a young woman to have a baby and that baby to grow up, this is going to be over, and God's going to level your two countries that are going to try to attack you. And just to make sure you understand what I want you to see, they're going to name that child Emmanuel, God with us. And I want you to see, Ahaz, that I'm with you right now, even if you're not with me. Because something much bigger is going on in your life. It's a very interesting promise because God is offering Ahaz, I'm going to be with you. He tells him, look, here's a sign. A child's going to be born. Now, this sign has a fulfillment immediately, establishing a time frame. But we're going to learn that Matthew also says this has a future sign. A virgin will give birth, and we will call him Emmanuel. What's fascinating is that when God created everything, he was with Adam and Eve in the garden. Man and God living together, God with man, but we know that man rebelled against God, rejected God's rule over him, and removed him from his presence. Adam basically told God, I don't need you anymore, I got this. But there was a promise at that time, a promise through a child. Through a child of a woman, a war would take place. The child would crush the serpent's head. The child would make war with Satan, and he would win. So when we come to the birth of Jesus Christ and we look at the New Testament in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, we read of a promise, a promise that was given back in Genesis 3, a promise that was affirmed in Isaiah 8, and a promise that was given 700 years before God broke into the darkness and said, I'm faithful and I'm here. We read of the description of the birth of Jesus. Matthew says, now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew's saying that thing that Isaiah said 700 years ago, it's happening right now. 
major league prophecy is being fulfilled in this historic moment right now. Matthew is saying, this is it. This is that child. This is the child that will be God with us. The reason we make such a big deal about this child that was born in a manger 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem is because it's God coming to be with us. Now, we want to leave Jesus often in the manger. The reason I picked the slide for this series is you can't look at Jesus in the manger and not look at the cross. He came on a mission, not to be a cute baby in a manger. He came on a mission to die on a cross. You can't separate one from the other. You see, at Christmas, we want to leave Jesus in the manger, and at Easter, we want to leave him on the cross. That's not the story. 2,000 years ago, God came to earth because he wanted to be with his people. He wanted a relationship. But that's not the only reason that we have such a big deal about this child. Notice something else. As I keep reading in Isaiah 8, there's an invasion from Syria. And they say it's going to consume the enemies of God's people. But in chapter 9, we have another promise. It's a great promise during times of darkness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You see, in Isaiah chapter 9, in a time of darkness, when the nation looked like it was going to be overrun by the Assyrians, God tells them, no, a light's going to come. One who brings light is going to put an end to war and oppression and darkness. This one will come and end war. All the battle implements, all the battle clothes, they'll all have blood on them. They're going to burn. You're going to win the war, he's telling him. That's the promise God is giving those people 700 years before Christ arrives. I said, I had this. I have this. Then he explains how all this is going to happen. For unto us a child is born. How's the world going to change? How are we going to stop having wars? How are we going to get back to where we should have been in the garden walking with God? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there'll be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Who's doing this? God. What's he doing? A child is born. Again, a child. is again that child born over 2,000 years ago in a little town of Bethlehem is not only God with us but the Bible tells us something even more important he's God for us notice the names the one who is the light of hope who comes by way of Galilee that's where Jesus comes from 
The light of hope will come in God's gift of a child. What was the question they were asking in the darkness? Do they still have hope? What's this child? The child of hope. Just the fact that he was born brings hope to God's people. But I want you to notice the names this child carries. Names of titles, perhaps, if you will. I did an entire series two Christmases ago on these four names, if you want to go back and watch it. Wonderful Counselor. He's not only God, he's not only bringing hope, but he's a wonderful counselor. Now notice, these aren't claims he makes about himself. He will be called. In other words, he's going to come live on earth, he's going to show us the Father, and people are going to give him these titles. Wonderful counselor. Counselor who offers advice and wisdom that seems to come from not of this world. Child who will be king, a child who has wisdom from above, counsel from above. Unlike Ahaz, who's shaken in his boots, who gave poor counsel and is in the line of David for Israel and Jerusalem, unlike those kings, the foolish ones, the ones who got foolish counsel, this king is going to have divine counsel. Counsel. His words are going to be true. His words are going to resonate. He will be wise, and he will be all-knowing. He is wonderful counselor. He's also mighty God. Mighty God. Mighty comes from the word that means warrior. This child is God who's with us, who makes war for us. This is the God who fights on our behalf. This is the child that was promised in Genesis 3.15 that he'd make war with the serpent. He would make war with the enemy of God. He would make war with Satan himself. And this child that's born mighty God, he's God himself. He came down from the throne. He becomes part of his creation, and he makes war with the people, with the enemies of his people. He fights for his people. That's good news. The greatest battle that we've ever seen in the history of mankind is the battle of the devil. How God destroyed him and went to the cross in obedience. The Bible said he destroyed the works of the devil by dying on the cross, receiving God's wrath for our sin. He's going to stand. Satan is going to stand and accuse each and every one of us. There's a day on your calendar where Satan is going to point a finger and accuse you of everything. True, not true, lies, partial lies, uh, everything. Jesus is going to smile and say, but he's mine. She's mine. She's my daughter. You see, they don't belong to you. They belong to me. Whoever believes in Christ has everlasting life. On that day when they stand before God as judge and the devil says, I know what he did, I know what she's done. Jesus says, yeah, me too, that's why I came. There's therefore no longer no condemnation in Christ, those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a mighty God. He's also eternal father. 
Notice the term eternal father. It's not to confuse us with the Trinity. He acts like a father, a king who rules on behalf of his people with care and compassion. I'll do anything for my kids. I pray about them all the time. I think about them all the time. I'll put their needs ahead of mine in a heartbeat. That is what an eternal father does. Unlike the kings of Israel's history, unlike the kings who were selfish and ruled for selfish gain, this king rules his people with compassion and care and kindness and mercy. He's the kind of king people long for who will deal with his people in a fatherly way. And then finally, he says he's going to be the Prince of Peace. They're going to call him the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince who brings peace. I'm not going to go into this too much, but we'll write on Christmas cards, Peace on Earth and Goodwill to Men. Okay? Jesus, the first time around, brought everything but peace to earth. He came to separate families. He came to call out Satan. He came to set a new standard. He came to die on a cross. He came to be punished. He did not bring peace on earth. What he offers is not peace on earth, but peace with God. You can live in a fallen earth. When you do, but you can have peace with God. What does peace with God mean? It means when I get on my knees, I don't feel guilt and shame. I feel love because I'm at peace with my relationship with God. One day when Jesus returns, as we're studying in Revelation, there will be peace on earth. No wars, no conflicts, no struggles. But what he announced on his first arrival is, I'm going to bring you peace with God in the midst of this disaster. The Messiah would bring a peace that comes from heaven. Not the kind of peace you and I think of peace. Peace with God. He came to solve your God problem. You may not have known it, but most of your life, you you have a God problem. You see, most of us think we're God. Until we really destroy our lives, and then we realize we weren't very good at it. Jesus came so you and I could overcome our fears of God's wrath and to take the sting out of death. He provides a way for you to have total peace with God even though you initially rejected him and sinned against him. You see, that's the incredible thing. There are two groups of people in the, well, there's probably three, but two, let's say. One are people who know they're not at peace with God. God showed up there in major trouble. Then on the other end, there are people who know they don't deserve it, but because of Christ, they're at peace with God. They're living their life truly knowing that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. They're doing their very best to have their heart chase after him. And then there, I think, there's a lot of believers who aren't quite here yet because they're still trying to earn it when they don't realize they've received it. Jesus said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not the peace on earth, not the kind of peace you think, not everybody getting along, my peace, the one that comes straight from the throne. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, 
Rather, let them be afraid. Neither let them be afraid. What he's saying is, how will you know if you have my peace? Was your heart troubled? When you think about God, when you start praying, do you feel like you don't belong there? Or are you afraid to talk to God? Jesus gives you his peace. When the fullness of time had come, one minute sooner would have been too early, one minute later would have been too late. God broke the heavens, spoke into the darkness after 400 years of absolute spiritual silence. He is faithful to do what he promised to do. Everything happens through his perfect timing. Us being in this room is part of that. He's made promises that eclipse your darkness. Perhaps that's the greatest joy of Christmas. You see, you can't keep Jesus in the manger. This child saved the world, and he saved you. In the midst of your darkness, he speaks. That's the message of Christmas. That's the gift to every person. No matter how dark things are, no matter how long you've been silent with God, he still speaks. Many people are going to experience darkness this Christmas. They need to know the lights come into the world. That God will walk with them through whatever darkness they're in as Emmanuel. You may have to walk through some dark times, but you'll never be alone. So I'm just wondering, where do you find yourself this Christmas? Are you a follower of Christ and you find yourself in darkness because of Adam's sin? What I mean by that is that the sin of Adam put some chaos into the world, put some disorder and disease into the world. You didn't do anything wrong, but you live in a fallen world, and that's causing darkness for you. During this Christmas, maybe you realize that the world's just really dark right now can't put your finger on why it just seems really dark maybe you've received a diagnosis and you know that it is imminent death in your life and there's darkness in your life darkness over your family because you're facing death or some other kind of darkness not as a result of anything you've done or anything that someone's done to you but simply the result that you're a human being under the curse of death living in a fallen world with disease and activities, and you've inherited Adam's sin, and for that reason you were guilty, and all of us have to face a physical death. But with Christ, death has no sting. The good news of the gospel is that God is with us, and God is for us. If you look and hope in Christ, you believe the words of Jesus that said, He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet he will live. You'll be saved. You see, the most important thing is not what happens to you on earth. The most important thing is did you use your time on earth to prepare you to be with God for all of eternity? Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Christ in darkness because of the sins of other people. Maybe somebody's sinned against you, somebody's done something to you, and because of that, you're walking through darkness and it was done to you. Maybe somebody cheated you out of something. Maybe they cheated you in business or relationships or marriage or life. 
somewhere, somehow, somebody's done something to you, and, or maybe they've done it to your family, and there's a cloud of darkness over your life this Christmas, over your family. The good news of the gospel is that God is in that darkness as well. He's the light that comes to dispel darkness. You can put your trust in him regardless of what situation you find yourself. But maybe this Christmas you are a follower of Christ and you know your darkness is because of your own sin. You've done certain things. You've made certain choices. You've prioritized everything except God. And as a result of those choices, there's a cloud hanging over your Christmas. Maybe over your family. The good news is that because God is with us and for us, Jesus paid the penalty for that sin on our behalf. And we can find forgiveness if we're willing to repent and confess it. If we're willing to agree with God that we're not where we need to be. You see, the bottom line is this. Jesus is God with us and he's God for us. So whatever darkness you're experiencing, he's the only light that's going to dispel the darkness. And there's another group of people who don't know Jesus at all. They're like Ahaz who rejected God. They reject God's child. They reject God's king. To this, I would say you can look in hope to Christ that he would be God with you and for you. The promise hasn't changed. That he would bring you out of the darkness, the darkness of sin that's around, and maybe for the first time, for the very first time, maybe you could actually place your hope in him. But know this, those who reject him will spend eternity under his wrath. You see, the reason we make such a big deal about this child is because this child is the promised one who is God with us and God for us. He's come to save people from their sins. And he's the only hope we have. He's the only light that will overcome your darkness. That's who this child is. That's why it's so special. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you came to us when we really weren't moving towards you. I thank you, God, that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, you are here. In fact, God, often you have to walk us into darkness to get our attention, to get us to focus on you. I know looking back in my life, the dark moments were the ones that were actually the best because they forced me to move towards you. So God, Christmas can be a time of darkness, but it can also be a time of great light. I pray for each of us, God, that we would allow you to do whatever you want to do in the darkness so that we can see the light. So God, you know every situation, every issue, everything going on in this room and those who will hear this online. People walked in a great darkness and you sent the light of the world. Help us, God, not to reject the very light that will save us. We love you, we thank you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.